And the Oscar goes to Francis McDormand, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Okay. <laughs> so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. <laughs> so I, I think this is what. Chloe Kim must have felt like after doing back-to-back -back 1080s in the Olympic half pipe. Did you see that? Okay, that's what it feels like. I want to thank Martin McDonough. Look what you did. Uh, we are a bunch of hooligans and anarchists, but we do clean up nice. I want to thank every single person in this building and my sister Dorothy. I love you, Dot. And I especially want to thank my clan. Joel and Pedro Mick Cohen. These two stalwart individuals were well raised by their feminist mother. They, they value themselves, each other, and those around them. I know you're proud of me. And that fills me with everlasting joy. And now, I want to get some perspective. If I may be so honored to have all the female nominees in every category stand with me in this room tonight. The actors, Meryl, if you do it, everybody else will, come on. The filmmakers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the cinematographers, the, the composers, the songwriters, the, 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 the designers. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Okay, look around everybody, look around ladies and gentlemen, because we all have stories to tell and projects we need finance. Don't talk to us about it at the parties tonight. Talk, invite us into your office in a couple days, or you can come to ours, whichever suits you best, and we'll tell you all about them. I have two words to leave with you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion rider. Everybody. Welcome to episode 18 of the Filmotomy podcast. This is a huge day for uh, Uber film fans, especially those who love the Oscars, because it is indeed Oscar Sunday. It is finally here, the day we've all been waiting for, or at least I know probably all of us. And we have a good group with us this morning. We have 
B. Garner from the UK. Hello. We have Daniel Smith-Rousey from over in California. Hi. We have Joel Melendez from Puerto Rico. Hi, everybody. And we have Matt St. Clair from over in Connecticut. Hey, everybody. And then, of course, I am Big Al Robinson, a.k.a. The List Man, and I am here in Minnesota. Uh, not too bad, actually. Uh, most of the snow has melted, but we were, we're apparently going to get five to eight more inches tomorrow, so I'm not too happy about that. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it just keeps coming. Um, <laughs> so, yes, today is the Oscars, which means that we'll finally know who the winners are, and we'll finally be able to brag about we were right or pout if we were wrong. And, uh, <laughs> and mostly it's just, just an excuse to get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need an excuse. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so are you all going to be watching the Oscars live? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I can't really because it's on super late here. Um, I'm one of these people that needs like eight hours sleep or else I'm super grouchy. So I'll just have to, I'm sure when I log on to Twitter tomorrow, I'll, it's, it'll be just like controversy after controversy. So I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I'm just curious, like how are all of our picks will go? I keep thinking, um, that I made wrong picks for like best, um, original song i picked remember me and i'm starting to feel like it's probably this is me Um, that's what i think yeah Yeah, i think so too and then i also predicted uh blade runner to win um cinema or um to win uh visual effects and i'm starting to think maybe it is the war for the planet of the apes yeah that's i that was my thought too because i was just thinking it's like the last one in a series that it's you know, there's been a lot of love for that series as well. So I think that's going to be suddenly a, a, a unexpected shift. And um, I, But I think Blade Runner will definitely pick up something tonight. Yeah. So yeah. come on, Ro- Roger Deakins. Yeah, I mean, it, as long as Roger Deakins wins, that's probably the award I'll be happiest with. Yeah. Yes, yeah. If he, if he doesn't win cinematography tonight, tonight then I don't think he ever will. Mm. Yeah. say that, man. Mm. Uh, well, they don't want to keep torturing them, do they? <laughs> I hope not. Um, by the way, I heard good news. I don't know if it's official, um, but uh, Michael Bay is no longer going to make any more Transformers movies. Oh, thank God. <laughs> there is a God. Yes. <laughs> I don't know when that was announced, but I that's what Julia was telling me last night. So that makes me very, very happy. Yeah, but apparently Bumblebee will be the last Transformers movie. Okay. Oh, no. What a that's shame. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, darn. Here. <laughs> right. You know that's probably going to be an Oscar nominee next year, though. Uh, or best visual yeah. effects or something like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Best, best performance in the, yeah, by Mark Wahlberg or whoever. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, anyway, so today's agenda, um, we are going to be making our picks for our favorite of the year. 
for, for the categories, and then we'll be talking the career of Paul Thomas Anderson. And uh, so what I thought we would do is instead of doing what we did before when we did like our top 10 favorite movies, why don't we just each go around and cover all of our awards? So that way it'll be like, you know, the listeners will get all of your picks at once. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and part, part of that, as I was also thinking we should do that, um, so that way if Steve can join in before we're done, then he can give us his as well. So mm, May I ask which categories are we going to cover today? Yeah, um, so it's whatever your favorite is. For okay, so look, you know, go use the the Oscar categories as okay. your guide. Okay. But then again, okay. you can pick your favorite of any film of the year. So you're Ooh. talking about the 24 categories or the, the 21. So we're 21. We're, yeah, we're, we're we're eliminating shorts. Okay, correct. got it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Joel, would you like to go first? Uh, I need some uh, more time because I thought we're gonna we're gonna only discuss the the eight main categories. So oh, yeah, okay, okay. yeah, my bad. No, that's uh, fine. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna stay abstain from some categories because I haven't watched enough, uh, for example, documentaries or uh, foreign language films. So so maybe those two I will uh, abstain from. From giving my favorite because I, I don't have enough uh, movies to compare. Okay, that's that's perfectly fine. Well, should I go first and then you guys get uh, get the gist of it all? Yes. Sure. Yeah, that, that'd be good. Okay. We'll Followed by your lead. That sounds good. And I'm gonna do mine in reverse order, where then my best picture will be last. Ooh. So I like to do it. I always. Uh, Is your best picture Kong? <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> In fact, I think I have to give that movie an asterisk. <laughs> um, so I like to always put all of the technical categories together, and then I move on to like animated films, documentary, that kind of stuff, and then I move up to the writing, the acting, director, and then best pictures always last. So. What I have here is for my favorite best visual effects. I there's Kong Skull Island <laughs> because why not? You know, I mean, I just love everything about that film anyway. Uh, so it gives me an sure. opportunity to mention Kong Skull Island again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, sure. Yeah, my best sound editing. I went with Dunkirk. I think it's going to win the Oscar, and I think it's just the best sound editing of the year. For best, my favorite sound mixing, I went with Baby Driver, which I think will also win the Oscar, and it's also arguably the best of the year. Um, my pick for my favorite production design, I went with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, and I thought about what production design is. I certainly thought about Shape of Water... And some of the other nominees, but I just thought, you know, Guardians, I just like that planet, you know, that they all inhabit and everything. And I like all the ships and everything. And even down to, like, the opening scene where we see Baby Groot dancing to, um, you know, the Electric Light Orchestra, I think. So, uh, moving on then, my favorite musical score is Dunkirk. I love the Hans Zimmer 
uh, clock or a watch ticking. I just think it's genius. Although I had thought about the shape of water, but I thought, you know, maybe others are going to say that. And so I just went with Dunkirk because it's just amazing. Uh, For my favorite original song, I've got Sufjan Stevens' Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Name. It is just so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, For my favorite makeup and hairstyling, I went with It uh, because of Pennywise the Clown. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. It reinforced my fear of clowns. <laughs> oh, nice. I didn't even realize I had a fear of clowns until I watched that film. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite film editing, I I picked Baby Driver for all the obvious reasons. Plus, I've mentioned it on this podcast before, so that should come as no surprise. This one may be a little bit of a surprise. Uh, it even kind of surprised me. For my favorite costume design, I went with Call Me By Your Name. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, those those clothes aren't flashy, but they're really nice. You know, they're just down to earth, and they just look comfortable. And they, yeah, they say everything about the characters as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I especially like um, the blue and white striped shirt. I think that one might be my favorite. And then I I wanted to also mention, like, even down to, like, the swimming trunks that they all wear. Yeah. I I, I love the swimming trunks they wear. (laughs) Oh, me too. Oh, me too. Oh, me both me. Yeah. (laughs) My favorite cinematography i went with dunkirk and that was a tough pick too because there's a lot of good looking films this year but i just think you know dunkirk is so in your face with it you know and the fact that they were able to get those imax cameras onto that plane is just amazing uh now i'm abstaining from foreign language film unfortunately unless we count call me by your name (laughs) what (laughs) yeah I still it's set ha- in Italy. That's foreign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I've been meaning to get to the foreign language films. I need, I, you know, I need to see a, a fantastic woman because I think it's going to win the Oscar tonight. I, uh, I've heard strange things about the square, but I still want to see it. And the one that's at the top of my list, of course, is Matt's second favorite of the year, and that's BPM. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would want to see that as well. Yeah. For my favorite documentary, I picked Voyeur, which is on Netflix. Oh, my gosh. I love that. It was amazing. I watched yeah. that the other week. Oh, my God. I was, like, telling everyone about it, and it's just, like, the craziest story. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I mean, if you guys don't know what Voyeur is, it's about this guy who had this hotel, and he would go up above the rooms, and he would cut a hole in the rooms and watch people have sex. <laughs> yeah it's so bizarre and it, it's the whole point where he's like to the kfc where he watches the man eat the kfc bucket and yeah the guy wipes his um hands on the like the bedding and he's like son of a bitch <laughs> the guy's looking around and he can't find him because he's up in the roof and it's just like the just so bizarre i don't know how he got away with it yeah 
But then the the big crux is the twist is that he thinks he saw a murder. Yeah, that was chilling. Yeah. I read the article in the New Yorker, wherever it was, but I haven't seen the movie. I mean, I know the twist because of the article, you know. Mm. Yeah, it sounds. It, when you read it like three years ago, it was like, oh, this could make a perfect movie. Yeah, I think you'd really like it, Daniel. Oh well, I, I'm sure I would because the material is obviously. I mean, if it's done right, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it. Uh, moving on, my favorite animated film, and I. Basically, I have to punt here because I've only seen one, but I'm going with the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. It is pretty awesome. Um, my favorite original screenplay, uh, I, Tanya, which I just watched the other day. Um, they're just so crass in that movie, and I love it. <laughs> um, my favorite adapted screenplay, I really thought about Call Me By Your Name because it was just so well-crafted. But, you know, I just rewatched The Disaster Artist last night, and honestly, that one's just my personal favorite. I would I would argue that Call Me By Your Name is the better screenplay, but I just love The Disaster Artist. Um, my favorite supporting actress this year was Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird. Um, my favorite supporting actor, Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards. My favorite leading actress... Francis McDormand for Three Billboards. My favorite leading actor is Timothée Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, which he really should win the Oscar. And uh, yeah. my favorite director, I, I thought about two people in particular. I, I went back and forth. My runner-up became Edgar Wright for Baby Driver. And my winner, which might be a surprise, Darren Aronofsky for Mother. Nice. Yeah. And my favorite film of the year, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So, those are my picks. Who would like to go next? I'll go next. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to abstain from documentary and the shorts. But for what, for me, I will start off with my pick for the musical categories. For best original song, I went with Visions of Gideon from Call Me By Your Name. Originally, I went with Mystery of Love, but after rewatching Call Me By Your Name, I feel like Visions of Gideon just had more of an impact on me. And, uh, for yeah. best or- for you best really original, can't go wrong with either. No. For Best Original Score, I went with Alexandre Desplat for The Shape of Water. Even just for that opening, that opening musical number, that brings a tear to my eye every every time I even think about it. Matt, by the way, you know what I thought it was kind of ironic when I was thinking about these for score? Okay, so um, Dunkirk takes place in France and has sort of an American soundtrack. And then um, The Shape of Water takes place in the United States and has a French soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then for best makeup and hairstyling, my pick was The Shape of Water. It just particularly for the makeup done on the uh, the asset, uh, that was really nice. And then for uh, for best cinematography, I went with Call Me by Your Name. I mean, it's very it's rather subtle work, yet it still lets certain uh, certain. Sh- Shots act small. 
shots act as a form of storytelling. It's, it's hard. It's hard to explain for me to explain, but for best for best uh, costume design, I went. I actually went with Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Sweet, because it was. I mean, it's just it's just so creative. It's just so colorful and creative. Like I, I do, I do wish that that had gotten more attention. And for best uh, production design, I went with Blade Runner twenty forty nine because I thought the the way that future looked was also very amazing and detailed and very rainy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, for visual effects, uh, I also went with Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And twenty forty nine, and uh, for best ani- for best animated feature, I went with Coco, which is probably gonna win best animated feature tonight. Which is that de- definitely fine with me because it really that one really struck a chord with me by the time it was over. And over to the sound categories. Well, best uh, for best sound editing, I would go with Baby Driver. And best sound mixing, uh, Dunkirk. And so over uh, for uh, the best uh, foreign language film, even though I only saw a couple foreign language films, I'm still going with the second best film of the year, which is Beats Per Minute. <laughs> and uh, for best uh, fil- film editing, my pick is... I'm, I'm giving this one to Mudbound. Oh. Because it's a film that I've, it's a film that I, that I thought was amazing, and then and I was Great. really passionate, and I was really passionate about all season, and I, oh yeah, I would I want to award this one, wanted to award this one at least something, and its editing uh, allows the film to move like a along with the cinematography that the seamless editing allows the film to seem like a moving painting. Because it, it's very, I mean, the cinematography is very Terrence Malick esque, and the edit, and the editing, which knows when to, <clears throat> which knows when to cut away from the long tracking shots, is very precise. So, now over to the, uh, to the acting categories for for best uh, for best supporting actress. Well, this is a tough one. That I went with Michelle Pfeiffer for Mother. Oh, love it! Yeah, because I originally I had Tiffany Haddish for Girl Strip. I still think she was amazing, but <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer just kills the first half of that movie. Yeah. yeah, nobody knows how to budge into somebody's personal life like Michelle Pfeiffer does. <laughs> <laughs> and the best for best supporting actor, Michael Stuhlbarg for Call Me by Your Name. That final monologue <laughs> breaks me every time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I also with Arby Hammer, who was who I think is a key reason as to why the the film and the film's romance romance works so well. But yeah, I don't ulti- understand how he's been sort of missed off the Oscars. nominations it's really upsetting because he's so good in that film I've not really seen him in anything else Um, uh, because I've always thought of him being a bit you've heard of him in like Lone Ranger and yeah uh, 
some other rubbish film that flopped. Uh, so I always yeah. thought he was a bit of a joke, but uh, he blew me away with his performance. Oh yeah, yeah. When he's he's one of those actors where if he's in the right role, he can really deliver. You know, mm, with the right material. Yeah. So for uh, oh, for best actress, I this is another tough one. So and for this one, I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna do a top three. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My second, Aubrey Plaza, Ingrid Goes West, Daniela Vega, A Fantastic Woman, and my winner, the lovely Saoirse Ronan and Lady Bird. And for Best Actor, this was an easy one, but uh, Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name. So over in, you know, for the screenplay categories, uh, this is another tough one, but I went with Jordan Peele for Get Out. It was between between that and Lady Bird, but I, I feel like Get Out has the mo- between them. Get Out is the more original idea. And good, good, good to hear that film named for the first time in this podcast. Go ahead. Yeah, and uh, I ultimately I do think he's Jordan Peele is going to go on to win the Oscar tonight. The best adapted screenplay. James Ivory for Call Me By Your Name. That's another easy one. Uh, for Best uh, Director, uh, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. Because it's another film that I've that I've loved all year, and I wanted to award that one at least one prize. And as for my last one, I'm, I'm sure you guys can guess what this one is. <laughs> the Snowman. Oh, the snowman. Oh, I should have realized that. <laughs> Everybody's favorite, right? <laughs> it's, it's call me by your name. <laughs> I was going to, you know, I was listening. Does anybody ever watch the stupid stuff that the that, that Ampass produces, the Oscar Insider? They have these little videos. They've been showing up on my Facebook feed. Anyway, the lady who is supposedly knows the Oscar Insider, she's been saying Timothy. Chalamet, or certainly it's not Timothy. Have you guys heard about that? I mean, just uh, just point of order when you mentioned his name, when you both have mentioned his name, I'm like, is it Timothy? Because I don't know. I mean, are we doing <laughs> this wrong? Well, I think it, what it was is on press tours, Army Hammer, and maybe he was joking around, but he, I think he kept perf- uh, referring to him as Timothy. Yeah. yeah. Well, is that, are you saying Army Hammer also tells you, us that he goes to Tarjay, but, but he knows he's joking? <laughs> I mean, I, you tell me. Uh, I, you know, I would think, given that he's an American, it probably should be more Timothy. Or how did you say he was pronouncing it on the on the Facebook? Uh, well, this is Oscar Insider. This is like affiliated with um, Ampass. I mean, this is an official site. You know, it's it's connected to Oscars.com and all that. It's uh, what do you call it? Uh, t- I think Timothy, either Timothy or Timothy. I couldn't even Timothee. hear them as they okay. were doing it. I'm just going to call yeah. him Timmy. Call him by his rapper name. Call him Tim. Call him by his rapper name, Lil Timmy T. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward he can be to that T- collaboration. If, if J- Jennifer Lawrence can be J-Law, he can be T-Shell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need I a like co- collaboration between him and the then uh, Childish Gambino. 
<laughs> I was just just asking, you know. I don't want to. I don't want anybody to, you know, get angry at the podcast for, you know, how dare you mess that up? Right. No, that's actually a good question because I've been thinking about that over the last few weeks. <laughs> you haven't had a lot of other things to think about, have you? <laughs> just it, just work. It keeps you awake at night. Yeah. You're there trying to fall asleep, and you're just like, how does he pronounce his name? Well, that and the great beard from John C. Riley in Kong Skull Island. I like to think about his big beard. <laughs> yeah. A big beard should be in Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> it really should. That should just be oh, a Best man. Beard category at the Oscars. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, so, I'm happy to what? go next. Oh, okay, okay. Yep, if cool. You, if you want. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so I'm going to go backwards. Um, uh, for visual effects, I've gone with War for the Planet of the Apes, um, simply because, okay. uh, was, like I said before, it's the last one in a series, and it's been overlooked continuously. And it's really, uh, it's really good. Um, so uh, I think it should, it would be nice to see it win this evening, but... but <laughs> Either way, it's still on my list. Um, costume was easy. I went for Phantom Fred <laughs> simply because, oh my gosh, all of those dresses are so beautiful, and I want to just wear them around the house when I'm doing like the washing up or the hoovering. You know, just make good good use of them. Uh, <laughs> why not? You know. Yeah, Al, that means vacuuming in England. Just, just. <laughs> okay. The Herbert Hoovering? Yeah, yeah the Hoovering. Yeah. yeah, it's by the brand. Yeah. Okay, uh, sorry, the vacuuming. Right. Uh, anyway, um, for makeup, I've gone with Darkest Hour, um, simply because uh, the way they transformed um, Gary Oldman into Winston Churchill is is really amazing um and uh even though i would like to see him win the oscar for leading actor i don't think it's probably going to happen uh but uh certainly the makeup department have done an excellent job on that uh song i've gone for mystery of love from call me by your name um Original score, I've gone for Johnny Greenwood's Phantom Fred. Um, the music is just so wonderful, and I just can't stop listening to it. So it's really beautiful, and he's done some amazing work, especially on um, various uh, Paul Thomas Anderson um, films. Production design, I've gone with Shape of Water, uh, just because it's just amazing like all the little details the world they've created it seems so familiar but it's also something quite unique as well and it's really sort of a good sort of homage to the 1950s period so uh, I loved everything about it especially her bathroom and you've got the the peeling wallpaper and everything looks like it's slowly falling apart but it's beautiful as well so that was amazing. I really made the movie. It just looked so good. Um, sound mixing. I've gone with Baby Driver. 
and then for sound editing, I've gone for Dunkirk. Or yes. we could we could swap those around. I don't really know. I just feel like both of those categories. It's either going to go for Dunkirk or it's going to go for Baby Driver. Um, really, just the sound in both of those films or what what makes them so great. Um, editing, I went for I, Tonya, um, simply because of the skating scenes that they've done. Um, it, uh, the tension as well. Um, I was watching the scene with the triple, where she does the triple um, Axel thing. I don't know um, the technical term. The jump, the special jumpy jump she does. Um, and that was really amazing, just like how they get it and it's really spot on um foreign language film it's kind of hard because i've actually watched quite a few in the last few days and uh all of them have been reasonably good uh but i've gone for um on body and soul um or just because i haven't seen beats per minute but i i know that if i had it probably would be that one but I did really enjoy On Body and Soul. Um, now, documentary is really hard for me because I've seen quite a few and it's I couldn't just pick one, so I've gone for two. I've gone for Icarus and I've also gone for a documentary which I don't know whether many people have heard of. It's called Dawson City Frozen in Time. I heard of that. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I'm a huge fan of silent cinema. Um, so if anyone uh, it's, it's about telling this story of this city um, in the Yukon and it was founded during the gold rush um, in the sort of the turn of the 20th century and they were the last ones to sort of get the silent films you know when they were being sent across the whole North America and in, they just had to help, hold on to them because the studios were like, well, we don't want them back. There's no point sending them back. So they had all these old films and they buried them in the snow and then they found them in the 70s and uh, films that they thought they had lost, you know, been lost to time. And it's telling the, the history of this town with the clips from the silent films that they found. And it was amazing. It's such an interesting insight to um, a town I've never even heard of before. So it was amazing. And um, I really recommend it. Um, cinematography, I've gone for Roger Deakins uh, with Blade Runner 2049. Um, original screenplay is really hard because there's been so many amazing... Um, screenplays this year uh, it's quite it was quite a struggle just to pick one but um, because I haven't really mentioned it yet I put three billboards on here um, just because I haven't really chosen it for anything else and I wanted to give it a little bit of praise but um, if I was going to choose a sort of uh, best debut screenplay I probably would go with Get Out Um now, adapted screenplay, I couldn't decide. So I've gone with Logan, Disaster Artist, and Call Me By Your Name. I'm hoping they can all sort of share 
together. Um, animated feature I've gone for Loving Vincent, uh, just because I think it's oh, it's just so wonderful. I love it so much, and um, I really want it to win the Oscar, but I know it's going to go to Coco, and that's kind of frustrating because it's. Pixar seems to win everything, and that, I know Coco's brilliant, but it's a bit of a shame that Loving Vincent came out in the same year. So I think if it came out the year before, or you know, this year, not, not you don't mean the year before because that was yeah. a crazy year for uh, cartoons. No, I mean like, like last year was Zootopia, Moana, um, yeah, My Life yeah. Is a Courge, uh, Your Name. Um, I, the uh, sorry, <laughs> maybe next year yeah, though, if it comes out. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot that quite a few came out in 2016. Um, yeah, if it sort of come out maybe a, a few, at least two years ago, it might have. Then yes, yep. yeah, absolutely yeah. agreed. <laughs> um, yeah, that's quite hard. Um, there's frustrating that it's probably not going to win anything. Now, um, director, I've gone for Sean Baker for the Florida Project, but I'm giving a big shout out to Jordan Peele for best debut. Um, director uh, supporting actress I've gone for Leslie Manfield in Phantom Fred nice um, she is amazing in that movie and um, probably won't um, win this evening which is a bit of a shame but she really is just superb in those breakfast scenes uh, just by the way she just does her looks uh, it's amazing. Um, supporting actor is Willem Dafoe for um, his fantastic performance in uh, the Florida Project. Now, actress, this is going to be um, again. I'm going to give a sort of a newcomer um, a mention, and that's Brooklyn Price for the Florida Project. Okay, so best supporting actress, I've got Margot Robbie. Um, for uh, Tonya Harding in I, Tonya. Um, I'm also going to give a special mention for Alexandra uh, Brobley. I think that's how you say her name. Uh, but she is the main actress from On Body and Soul, and she is simply superb. Um, but also, because I can't, I'm terrible at deciding things, I want to give a special mention to Vicky um, Cripps. Cripps from phantom fred because she is fantastic and um oh there's just been so many amazing female performances this year or just performances full stop so i just i i can't decide on just one so i'm having four okay um (laughs) um actor i've gone for daniel day lewis and robert patterson um Robert Pattinson in Good Time. It, wow, he is fantastic. He really. Yes. I, I didn't. I had to actually check and see if it was actually Robert Pattinson. And he's so good, and it's just the that film just goes and goes and goes and keeps going. It's just nonstop, and it it's so good, uh, really thrilling, and just the uh his performance is amazing he's just 
fantastic in it. And I think he's been sort of overlooked, which is a bit of a shame. Now, best picture. Um, I've gone for Phantom Thread. Just simply because it's my favourite film of uh, 2017. And I think it's... Uh, I didn't put... Uh, obviously, didn't put um, Paul Thomas Anderson down as best director. But uh, I do feel... Uh, Either Phantom Fred or Free Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, or Call Me By Your Name. See, I just can't decide. <laughs> as, as long as it's, you know, any of those films apart from The Post would be fine. So <laughs> That's but, a good sign. We shouldn't have to make <laughs> these choices over here. Yeah, I know. I just feel like everybody should win. Uh, just Oscars for you, and you can have an Oscar, and you can have an Oscar. <laughs> All right, Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's my long list. Apologies for rambling. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, Don't worry. Uh, may I go next? Yes, you may. Yeah. Okay. So, I have for visual effects, uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. I think it's time for this movie to win something. It's amazing the job they 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 did uh, for all the all the free movies, so I hope hopefully they're gonna win tonight. Yeah. Uh Mits <clears throat> and I got Baby Driver. Uh it's amazing what 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 the editing team did with that movie in sound. Uh, sound editing I have Mother. I think it's one of the best uh films of the year with uh sound editing. It should have been nominated, but you know how it works. You know, yeah. Joe, I feel bad. I didn't even think of that one, but you're right. That that has great sound in it. Yes. It's, it's amazing. I, I'm going to carry on. <laughs> uh, best original song I have, Remember Me, from the movie Coco. Uh, that, that song made me cry in the, in, in the theater, so... And it's so important to 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 the plot of the movie that I I, I just can't uh, nominate another song. That that's the one. That's that's the one that's supposed to win tonight too. So yeah, uh, best makeup. I'm going with Logan. Uh, should have been nominated too in that category. Uh, best editing. I'm going outside of the usual suspects, you know, Dunkirk and Baby Driver, and I'm, I'm choosing Good Time. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. good one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, it's, uh, it's a very, uh, very well-edited film. It should have been nominated, too. Uh, Custom Design, I'm going with Blade Runner 2049 instead of Phantom Thread, which is... Uh, my favorite movie of the year. That's so everyone knows that. So, but I'm going with Blade Runner 2049 because I thought their costumes were were really amazing. You know, uh, production design. I'm going with Blade Runner 2049 too. Uh, I think their production design is way better than uh, Oscar favorite The Shape of Water. So, hopefully, they're going to spoil tonight. I win too. <laughs> Uh, best original score I'm going with Johnny Greenwood's uh, Phantom Fred uh, no contest there mm. but I want to give a shout out to uh, Johan Johansson's uh, score for Mother uh, oh yes he passed yeah. away this uh, 
last year, I think, or, or earlier this year. And I think he deserved the mention. Uh, he was a great composer and he's going to be really missed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, cinematography, I'm going with Mudbound. Uh, I think uh, it was uh, Matt who shows uh, Mudbound for, for production design. It was Matt? Editing. Ah, editing. I'm so sorry. Uh, but you talk about the 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 cinematography of, of the movie, and it's true. It's it's like a painting, and I love that about the movie. So I'm gonna show it for the cinematography instead of Blade Runner or Dunker, which are, which are the Oscar favorites. Animated feature, uh, no contest, Coco. Uh, it was a great year for animated films. So. Uh, to find, uh, you know, at least one uh, brilliant film from the bunch, like, it's 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 cool. Uh, but this category needs to get better this year, definitely, because uh, after what you well, like you said, Daniel, that 2015, uh, sorry, 2016 was a great year for animated films. Uh, to have this mid week year, it's 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 underwhelming. So hopefully this year this year will be better. Uh, for adapted screenplay, uh, call me by your name. It's my it's my option. Uh, or you know, screenplay. I'm going with Get Out. It's definitely the most original screenplay of the year. Uh, supporting actress, I'm going with Leslie Manville. Yay! I love her in, in Phantom Thread. She's amazing. <laughs> she, yeah, she. Uh, I, no one can defeat her in a steering contest. Uh, no one. <laughs> so yeah, uh, supporting actor. I'm going with Jason Mitchell for Mudbound. Uh, but I want to give Good a one. shout out. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Army Hammer for Call Me by Your Name and Garrett Hedlund for Mudbound too. Uh, best actress. I'm going with Vicky Cripps. I think she was fantastic going toe to toe against uh, Leslie Manville and Daniel Day Lewis, who you know both are veterans in in the industry. And she she came out of nowhere and, and she you know dominated the whole movie. So yeah, it's it's amazing what she did. Uh, Best actor, I'm going with Robert Pattinson for mm. Good Time. But nice. I want to give a shout out to Jeremy Renner for Wind River. Mm. Yeah. Be- very subtle performance, and I think he deserved better uh, in this award season. Uh, best director, I'm going with Danny Villeneuve for Very uh, Running 2049. And finally, best picture. Uh, spoil, I spoiled it a little earlier. Uh, Phantom Thread. Uh, Yay! <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I when I went to cinema to to watch this this uh, this movie, I wasn't expecting much because, uh, like I told before, uh, I was a little upset with Inner Vice, which was uh, PTA's last film before Phantom Thread. So I thought, oh, maybe this won't be as uh, won't be as good either so let's see but he really surprised me and 
the performances, the cinematography, the editing, everything about the movie is so perfect. The story, uh, I, 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 I could give all the praises to that movie, and, <laughs> and I will I will end today uh, praising it. So yeah, Phantom Thread. Next person. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well done, Joel. Thank you. Um, is it me? I guess it's me or Steve. Go ahead. I'm still getting my. I'm still drinking my coffee. <laughs> no, that's a great idea. I get some coffee around here. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, by the way, I mean, I know the pod, the audience at home can't you know get this, but uh, can either anybody in this thing see me at all? I can see you. I can see. You. I can see you. I'm watching you. <laughs> This is something I found at Party City, this uh, Moody Award silly thing. Okay, so uh, I'm just going with that uh, in the order that it's in, you know, leading to pick best picture, of course, at the end. Um, you know, uh, well, I'll start with, uh, I'll just run through these quickly. Oh, yeah, so this is the uh, the decoration for Call Me By Your Name, by the way. In I case love it. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Uh, bicycle, very nice. Yeah, I mean, if you know the film, it's not, and you know, it's even got this kind of Italian, nice, uh, like seed and uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, and it's hard to explain. Okay, and you know, this isn't going to be good for anybody listening on the podcast. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of decorations here, as you can hey. imagine. There's the billboards. Um, <laughs> you know what I ought to do, though? Here's what I ought to really do to get your guys' attention. I should wow. use my uh, my teacup here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to put me in the sunken place. Wait, you know, it's funny. I actually think an, a home audience, if, if you let the home audience hear this noise, they know what that is. You know? <laughs> they know what that is. Unless, unless they're not real Oscar people, then they don't. But if they know, then they've gotten this far in the podcast. They know what this is. What is it, Tibetan prayer bowl? <laughs> Prayer ball. You don't want to pick a fight with me. Yeah, exactly. You know you're dating my daughter. You know that's my daughter you're smoking around. Okay. All right. So I should just do that between every one of my 24 picks, right? I mean, I'll get everybody. Okay. Uh, oh, we won't be able to move. Exactly. Well, let me go back to here. Okay. So um, I have. Uh, you know, I'll just start with something off the wall. I'll say for makeup, uh, I've got Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I cool. loved uh, Jeff Goldblum the way he looked, and and in Je- it wasn't just him. It was a lot of other things. Uh, costume, I have Phantom Thread. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but I gotta give them credit for what was not easy to put together. Um, I applaud Joel's pick of sound editing for Mother. I also had that. <laughs> uh, I, I, mother of the sound was really, I mean, that was my favorite part of it. Uh, I, I hated a lot of the rest of it, unlike Aww. our esteem. It's top 10 material, you know that. given <laughs> the Well, it's not everybody's uh, cup of tea. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. I, like it. I see what you did there. It's not everybody's, <laughs> everybody's cup of lemonade. 
Yeah. I was just about to say that. <laughs> yeah, lemonade from the post. This this dumb Oscar insider thing. Like anybody remembers that scene. I wish. I okay. Anyways, uh, never mind. Excuse me. I'm off on a tangent because I've been watching the officially promoted Oscar silliness. Sound mixing. I'm giving to Dunkirk. I, I don't know the difference between sound editing and sound mixing. Uh, like half the people quoted in the real Oscar voter Scott Feinberg Hollywood Reporter things. I don't like them. I don't know the difference, but I feel like I'm splitting this between Mother and, and Dunkirk, which I think were both brilliant um visual effects blade runner 2049 i had to i don't know you know like joel i was uh, immersed i loved it um but i did i felt like i wanted to split this the next award sort of production design which is I, that i do think i know the difference between <laughs> production design i think shape of water for the reasons already cited um oh there's one of my kids uh, let's see. Well, hey, oh, he's the one who, who came in on the Al Jazeera interview and made me viral, so maybe he'll do that again here. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, editing is... Uh, I, oh, for editing, I have one that... I I'm, A movie I've barely heard mentioned here, uh, The Florida Project, and for very good reason, too, because it felt like a bunch of dissociated scenes, disassociated, but then it didn't. It also mm. it built to something, you know, and that's a lot harder... Yeah. I, you know, it, then it looks, yeah, I mean, the editing was real. you know, it's not a matter of just following a hundred page script, not even close the way that movie was edited. I mean, um, and I don't think it's getting enough credit for that. Um, cinematography, I put <coughs> Blade Runner 2049. I have, I actually went to the, um, what do you call them? You know, the animated shorts and the uh, live action shorts. Like I went to the Oscar, you know, the Oscar, uh, supported you know program of them so yes i will weigh in on those (laughs) uh now (laughs) so what am i saying oh so my pick for best short film is the silent child um and my pick for best animated short this is funny because um uh, you know there was they're all well the the kobe bryant one is terrible the other four are great (laughs) um yeah that's probably the one that's gonna win (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I have to admit, I love that Lou, the, uh, you know, this kid with it. And I know it's Pixar, which makes me feel like eh, we can't give this to Pixar again. Um, but I'm picking but- Lou for an- for best anime film. I'm going with Bianca and saying Loving Vincent. Or I don't even know if she did pick that, but I think let's go. with. Yeah, Loving. I did. Yeah. OK, good. Actually, I, I like your Pixar, logic. Pixar hasn't won animated shirt for quite a while. You have to check that. It didn't win for that Sandpiper bird movie? Yeah, and the... Piper won last year, actually. Oh, yeah. But Piper was, Pizza was uh, Disney animation. I have that doubt right now. Yeah. Wait, you're saying Piper didn't win or did? No, Piper... no, no, it did, it did. Yeah. But I don't remember if it was Pizza or Disney animation. I believe oh. it was Pixar because I think it played before... Um... Finding Dory. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. It's true. So sorry. My bad, uh, Daniel. It's just that, that I read somewhere that Pixar hasn't won that much in that category, even though, you know, it's the favorite always. Uh, so, yeah. That's, this, is my, I, this is my decoration for the post. All I had to do was get a bunch of Washington posts. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this, this didn't take any time at all throwing together this shape of water decoration at all. Now, that was like two minutes. But, Daniel, you got to tell us, what is the shape of water? 
<laughs> well, funny you ask. I've got this like thing that I put up. Uh, never, you know, never mind. I'm <laughs> no, no, well, because there's this little fish that goes in the decoration, but I'll wait till the actual Oscar oh. party to oh, put this sweet. up here. And then it's like a mechanized fish. Like, it's like hard to explain. <laughs> You know, forget that, because people who are just watching this, or listening, can't understand what we're talking about. Um, okay, why don't, I'm sure the home audience would love it if I finished up any time now. Uh, so, um, I have, let's see, what have I not said yet? I'm taking you guys over to the darkest hour Dunkirk room. <laughs> um, here are the toy souls. Um amazing okay so wait what did i fill out here oh so for me documentary film i'm saying um faces places i i don't know i'm just an old school Agnes barda fan and i just want to i don't know silly but i i also fell in love with the film i mean i know it's not as good as some documentaries but i was into it uh my foreign film is um okja I love that movie. In fact, I wanted to vote for some of these other cat. It was probably my runner-up in like three other categories. Um, <clears throat> okay, so now we just have the top eight, as they're sometimes called, uh, <clears throat> because I did skip one category, documentary short, because I didn't see any of those. Um, okay, so uh, the screenplay awards. For me, <clears throat> adapted screenplay, I voted for Mudbound. I think what they did with that material is particularly impressive, the way they layered it into these sort of two stories that you don't really know where they're going, you know, but then they do work together. I, think, I mean, I, what that is, what, how that was adapted is a very impressive adaptation, I believe. Um, original screenplay, Get Out, and I hope it does win tonight. Um, <clears throat> supporting Actress. I uh, voted for Lori Metcalf. Has anybody else picked her in our group? Yep, I started with her. Oh, yeah, I, I loved her work. Yeah, Subtle. She's, she's great. Um, and, you know, it makes you forget that she was in Roseanne. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although I think that's why she might have been cast, the whole working class thing. But because to make it seem more working class, because otherwise they seem too middle class. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I picked a supporting actor that I did not hear any of you pick. It's uh, Army Hammer for Call Me By Your Name. Uh, I, you know, I thought he was terrific. Um, I don't know. <laughs> he really shone. He, you know, every time he was on screen, it was hard not to look at him. I, I think he deserves yeah. more praise than he's for this movie. Um, lead actress, I picked somebody else that, I don't believe has come up in this discussion. Every time you read the letters BP on the internet, you think it's either best picture or black Panther, but my BP is Brooklyn Prince (laughs) or project. Damn it. Nice. She's amazing. She's very nice. I loved her. I don't know what to say. I, what uh, that was a great movie. Um, my lead actor, you know, this is a cliche. I, I thought about it. I'm sticking with Gary Oldman. You guys are awesome to have Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> um, but, um, no, and, you know, he was great. He'd be my second choice. But, I don't know, Oldman did something there that is hard to do. Uh, I, I don't know, degree of difficulty, carrying the entire film in a way that, I don't know. I think that's part of it for me, you know. Um Okay, so then, and my director and picture are actually the same uh, thing. So it's my director is Jordan Peele, my picture is Get Out. Yeah, I love those. So. 
I'm done. Steve? Nice. Okay, I'm a little oh. disorganized here. Yeah, That's sorry. Go ahead. I'll do the easy ones first. Uh, visual effects, War for the Planet of the Apes, no contest for me. With Okja coming in a very close second. I'm glad to hear you bring it up, Daniel. <laughs> um, <laughs> sets and costumes, Phantom Thread, animated feature, Loving Vincent. Yay. I like the originality of the thing. Where am I here? Here's where it gets dicey. For original screenplay, I'm sort of trying to decide between two, uh, Taylor Sheridan for Wind River and Francis Lee for God's Own Country. I thought they were two screenplays that really took on some important issues, and that they did it quite well. Ah, big oversight for Best Supporting Actor. I think I've mentioned it before in another podcast. Um, Benny Safty for Good Time. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Nice. I've been that impressed since Ed Norton appeared on the scene in Primal Fear. To have a character change over like he did. <clears throat> and and back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, two directors that I'm deciding between are Ruben Ostland for The Square. I love Force Majeure and I love The Square even more. And uh, Luca Guadagnino, of course, for um, Call Me By Your Name. Who also did an excellent job last year in The Bigger Splash. Right. Uh, costumes and sets, Phantom Thread. Dunkirk, I would hand three. Maybe not the editing, like uh, Daniel said, Florida Project is uh, quite imaginative. But I would give Dunkirk uh, sound, score, and probably editing, because it was the editing was the main feature, probably, of that film. Mm. And then what am I missing here? Oh, yeah, I'm just missing the, the top bit here. Call Me By Your Name, no contest for me. Best picture, best actor, best adapted screenplay. Wow. Is that everything? I think I got out all. You were quick. Whoa. Mm. There's no flies on me in the morning, I'll tell you. No. Round running. <laughs> I need whatever coffee you drink, I need more of that. Yeah, <laughs> we should, we should learn about from Steve, man. You did it really fast. <laughs> there's no, there's no sort of messing around. It's boom, boom, boom. Oh, cinematography! Like... I didn't oh, do cinematography. Sorry. Yeah, you I'm had to skip. I'm something. between <laughs> Beach Rats and Lost City of Z. Oh, oh yeah. Beach Rats. Yeah. There. Yeah, Beach Rats is amazing. Oh, Wait, everyone's Steve. got be- way better choices than me. <laughs> no, no, no. Steve, did you do the sound categories? Uh, yeah, I just handed it all to Dunkirk. I don't oh, know if okay. editing and sound anyway. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, all right. Um, I guess that'll bring us then to our second uh, topic of today. And that is Paul Thomas Anderson and just sort of what we think of him and his career and, uh, and I will be, you brought this up as a topic. Uh, so if you would like to lead okay. us, we would certainly appreciate that. <laughs> oh, gosh. All the pressure's on me. Um, when I get nervous to start to sing, I'll just tell you that in advance. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> um, well, I thought I would just uh, generally bring up some interesting things uh, to discuss. Um, I thought we could possibly start off with um, uh, discussing uh, his sort of early work and um, 
you know, uh, what, I don't know how much of your his background people know. Um, I'm thinking we probably all sort of know Paul Thomas Anderson quite well, but uh, I was just wondering the sort of people at home might not know uh, his how he began and uh, his career. So I would sort of just begin with a, a general introduction to who Paul Thomas Anderson is. So uh, he was born in 1970. So he's um, what we call a part of the Generation X um, school of uh, filmmakers. Um, so his, uh, his big sort of influence growing up was his father, um, so um, who's called Ernie. And he's made a very sort of positive impact on young Paul's life, sort of encouraging him to go into filmmaking. And I think that sort of the father-son relationship is something that's filtered in through his work. I don't know whether you guys have sort of would agree with me on that and picked it up on watching his films at all. Yeah. Particularly with the, the film Buggy Nights. Mm. Yeah, well, I was thinking it's kind of a, quite an interesting thing, um, the sort of the surrogate family that seems to be um, a recurring theme throughout Paul Thomas Anderson's work. And um, I, you can sort of see, like, he's had a, a lot of influence um uh, encouragement from his father but there's always a uh, sort of distinct lack of not I wouldn't say sort of strong theme I mean there are strong females but there doesn't really seem to be much of the the role of the mother in that and I wonder if that's something to do with Paul Thomas Anderson's own sort of relationship with his mother but uh, what about quite... Amber Waves and Boogie Nights that is a real mother figure in that yeah, that's true, but I think uh, aside from that, I don't really know. There isn't really much of a a mother figure in many of his other pieces, but I, it's just like something I was I was sort of read and I kind of started to notice, and I was trying to sort of scratch my head trying to think of someone else, but it's quite interesting. Um, yeah, the actual but, lack of a mother figure plays a big part in uh, There Will Be Blood. I think, oh, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so he started sort of making films at a young age, and he did actually go to film school, and this is something that I found really interesting. Uh, so he went to uh, San, Santa Monica um, for two semesters and dropped out, and then went to New York University, went there for two days and then dropped out. And um, it's, it's something that's, because I also went to sort of, uh, I studied film um, at degree level and I spoke to someone once about maybe doing like a, a master's and going to go to do my PhD in film and they were like, don't do it. It's it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And um, they were actually right because I spent three years doing film and I, don't, I didn't learn anything new. So, um, so... <laughs> I think it's quite encouraging when you realise that someone like Paul Thomas Anderson, his sort of advice to people is sort of pick up a camera and and get shooting rather than go and study film for, you know, 
four years and be stuck in a classroom not really doing anything. So but he picked a great tutor in Robert Altman. That replaces yeah. about any film school you can imagine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, you can sort of see that in his work, especially sort of Magnolia, those multi-strand narratives that are going on there. Um, it's, it's amazing. So uh, if there is any sort of people who are wondering, young people, should I go and study film? My advice would be um, just watch as many films as you can get a camera or your iPhone or whatever you've got, just go outside and start shooting and, and start writing and just watch, keep watching films, not just from, you know, the this era, but watch it, films from the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, all the way back to the very sort of start of cinema. But I digress, yes. sorry. Yes. <laughs> well, as someone who got a PhD in film in England, I would say, uh, you know, there's there's different things different people can contribute. I think, you know, it, it's sometimes nice to have a PhD in the room. But I think, yeah, if your focus is filmmaking, you should focus on that. I, I agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the thing, problem is, is that we seem we don't really have very many technical filmmaking courses in the UK. Um, the one that I chose was 70% theory and 30% practical. Right. That's the best one that I could find at the time, um, which is a real shame because I wish I, because the theory was, I've done that, all that already because I read up all about it and everything. So, um, but yeah, if you want to be, it's up to you. If you want to be a film historian or a lecturer, then definitely go and study film theory. But if you want, <laughs> you need to. Well, <laughs> right. Well, sure. I think you yeah. can't teach creativity. Well, that's yeah. true. You, yeah, exactly. You, you can you teach mean, technical skill, but not creativity. Mm. You can't train a writer necessarily, mm-hmm. <laughs> or a director. Yeah. Practice a lot, yeah. Yeah, you motivate the kids, but but you can't uh, uh, say what they should do. You know, you 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 can say like, hey, hey why why don't you try this or are motivated to to do what what they want? Uh, you know, and that that will work. But you yeah. can't tell them what to do exactly because then you're you're uh, manipulating their creativity. Well, you that's know, not that's not the point. I uh, I was just listening. You know the A um, what is it A twenty four the uh, the studio just put out a new podcast, and um, I recommend everybody go and subscribe because it's they their first episode is fantastic. They have mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig and Barry Jenkins talking with each other, and they talk about process of uh, shooting film and talk about influences and in the way that they uh, come about with how the film progresses, not just with the story, but with the whole, the, the everything, right? Mm. And, you know, I think it was Barry Jenkins that, that said, and I think it's absolutely true that a film itself has three uh, life cycles. You know, at first it goes through the writing process, then it goes through the filming process, and then it finally gets made in the editing process. And yeah that that's where uh, a lot of these uh, films really find their voices. And I think that, um, you know, if a filmmaker is really dedicated to their craft, 
they will find what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson is one of those people that has especially found what works for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we, the, he, he's found his voice because he wasn't affected by uh, what he would have learned had he gone all the way through film school. Exactly, yeah. He invented, yeah. He invented his own language to tell exactly what he wanted to say. Mm. Uh, not necessarily to please the audience because he doesn't necessarily please us on first viewing. He upset us quite quite seriously, but uh, that's where I think that's where his original language came from. The fact that he did not have any uh, complete brain. Yeah. I think as well is that um, he, like we we're saying, he's obviously watched a lot of movies and he knows his history of film, and that really sort of uh, because I think it's it's very easy to sort of Im- imitate another, you know, another director, but it's. It's another thing to do it with uh, sort of a homage and, and with, um, you know, not just simply ripping off a, a shot from another film, uh, but rather sort of uh, allowing people to know that you do, you have studied film, and but you have influences. And it's really sort of quite interesting how a lot of his films are, homages but not to the point where it's just a simple blatant rip-off um and i i find he's probably one of the most interesting directors out there at the moment because a lot of his his films aren't always a bit like um you know darren aronofsky type of thing with your initial response i think for me my initial response to the master was I absolutely hate this. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> what the hell have I watched? Um, but then I rewatched it again, and I was like, "This is so interesting." That's it. Uh, you know, I'm picking up on things I were overlooked. Uh, it's not really what I thought it was going to be. I didn't think I thought it was like a sort of a critique of Scientology, but really, it's nothing to do with that. So, um, Rob. Um, motto who's who's not here today but i spoke to him and he said it's it's a love story um between uh uh joaquin phoenix and philip Hoff, uh seaman hoffman's characters and i was like actually that's something i haven't considered before uh and that's gave me another sort of interpretation of that film and it's really interesting and i think that's what's great about Paul Thomas Anderson's movies is because he doesn't sort of hold your hand uh, and take you from this plot point to that plot point to this conclusion sort yeah. of allows yeah, you to the explore yeah. yeah exactly so, yeah, I, uh, I think there's something there because like if you look at the way that uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman interact like it's almost like and, and I mean it's even said in the film he's like I think I've known you in a in, either in a previous life or in this life, and I it's I know you from somewhere, and you know that kind of sentiment is not just um, you know with your your mind; it's with your body and your soul, and that kind of connection is is really an interesting um, you know thing to to dive into, and especially when in that moment you know like when they're doing the. Um, what do they call that? You know, well, like where he's he's doing the the asking oh, him questions yes, and yeah. he has to like 
you know, I don't know. I, I, I forget, but you know, it's like the Scientology thing. And, and like it's it's not just the clearing process. The, yeah, yeah, and and it's not just a way of of like you know from a religious perspective. It's it's kind of a, a way of getting to know you know who is this guy and do I know him and where do I know him from and and what does it mean to me and everything else. And it's it's really interesting because it's like you know Joaquin is already hooked on this guy and he just wants to like be everything to this guy kind of like the way um you know timothy chalamet is with army hammer early on in call me by your name you know he just wants to impress him with everything he does and you know like especially when timothy is playing the piano and he's talking about bach and everything else and it's just like that that is the connection that those two have in the master you know it's 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 one of those that they just, it's almost like unspoken. Yeah. Uh, I see, I see uh, the master more as uh, an allegory of, uh, he's trying to reconcile the spiritual with the carnal. Uh, it's just, uh, I think it's more of a, an internal thing. Whereas uh, call me by your name is not as two specific individuals. Well, that that's true. I'll give you that Steve. Cause you know, like as, I mean, as it's presented, of course, Joaquin Phoenix is what well, he's addicted to, um, yeah. That alcohol, um, oh, what is it? What, like hooch? Moonshine. Mo- moonshine. moonshine, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well I, one thing I, well, I did like uh, the math. One thing I did like about the master was the uh, dynamic between Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. But even though I'm only, I've only seen the film once, I'm mostly curious as to what's going on with Amy Adams' character. Yes, yes, her character's Be- really strange, isn't it? Because it, apparently, uh, when Paul Thomas Harrison did a Reddit Q&A recently, he said that the master of the title was Amy Adams, and I'm just, and as when I, when thinking about that, I'm, I'm just like, I wonder what, what makes her tick, or why is everyone around her a means to an end? Like what, uh, why, yeah, what, yeah. what drove her to be so cunning and ruthless? Yeah, it's, uh, she's a very sort of odd character because we don't really know much about her. Like, I, her life and where she's... She's almost... Uh, her background, it's very sort of... I don't know. Uh, she just seems to be there. Where does she come from? She's just... I quite find, I find it very interesting. It'd be nice to sort of have a film maybe concerning her. Um, yeah, her. I, I want to see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the guardian angel with ulterior motives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she gives a really good performance in in that film. <laughs> but um, I just thought I would, might might ask uh, a couple of questions, guys. So uh, we've sort of touched upon themes um of anderson's films already uh but uh i just wonder whether you guys have picked up on any other recurring themes at all uh and um whether you could sort of give some examples of them so is there anyone who would like to go first i think i'm most impressed by the way he works we never know what we're going to get from him Mm -hmm. we know we have to wait probably two to three years in between yeah. But we don't know until until practically till the premiere what the thing is even about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
You don't you don't get all of the the pre hype. Only the 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 only pre hype is his name, and that's saying an awful lot. <laughs> that's exactly. Well, you know, uh, for me, I I feel like he he specifically likes broken people, like people that they start out thinking that they know uh, everything, but then they realize they really don't, and they need the support of others. You know, I mean, if you look at like the map, uh, like the master with Joaquin Phoenix, Magnolia with, I mean, like Tom Cruise with Philip Seymour Hoffman with even Julianne Moore to a degree, um, you know, Boogie Nights, especially with like Mark Wahlberg. Um, you know, it's about it's about these people, the sad people, especially, you know, people that may not even realize how sad they are. And, you know, and, and I kind of look at that like, well, what does that say about Paul Thomas Anderson? Is he bad? <laughs> I think he's examining limitations because all of these people start out with some talent of some kind or some attraction. And then they sort of run into a run into a wall eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I, that definitely seems to be reoccurring. Yeah. I I would... to... Oh, sorry. No, you go first. Sorry. Uh, I would say another trademark for, from Paul Thomas Anderson is that he that he has a knack for getting the best performance is getting career best performances out of his actors like yes. jo- Joaquin Phoenix and the Master Adam Sandler and Punch Drunk Love mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg and Boogie Nights Daniel Day Lewis over and over and over <laughs> yeah. and also he also has developed a recent knack for discovering new and new breaker breakthrough talent like Catherine Waterston and Inherent Vice and well, the entire cast of Boogie Nights they were all unknowns yep mm-hmm. and and Vicky Paul Dano Paul Dano in, in There yes. Will Be Blood yes. yeah yes. and Vicky recently Vicky Cripps and Phantom Thread mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah oh that's actually quite interesting because I read something from uh, Paul Thomas Anderson that he actually writes a lot of his characters for the actors he works for Uh, or works with. So um, I'm just going to read a quotation from him, um, which is about regarding uh, uh, his working on Magnolia. Um, When I wrote Magnolia, I was writing for the actors. Actors don't scare me. Bad actors scare me. A good good actor is like watching a great musician, which is very interesting. Um, But he, yeah, he constantly, Constantly, he he wrote the film Punch Drug, Drunk Love for um, Adam Sandler, um, and based the character on Adam Sandler. So, uh, it works very sort of with uh, Daniel Day Lewis. He worked very closely with him to develop the character of Daniel Plainview, and also worked with him to develop the character um, of Reynolds in uh, Phantom Fred. So it's it's quite good that he's uh, sort of allowing the actors to really get into these roles uh, and, and sit down with him to develop them, which is something that's not really sort of heard of, really. I, at least I, I don't really know very many act, um, directors and actors that have that relationship where they're so it's a collaboration, they're working together in order to create the character. It's normally a case of the director just writes this, or whoever, the screenwriter writes the, the script, it gets given to whoever 
uh, is a big name that's going to pull in a crowd and and um, they're not really that that character are they they're just sort of playing the role I think that's a big carryover from working with Altman Right, I agree. Mm. It's really interesting. Um, And that's what I think is something that we were saying, that he does really draw out those performances. uh, Because uh, how he made Adam Sandler actually act. uh, (laughs) Wasn't that a bold decision? My my jaw dropped when I saw that he was going to do that. (laughs) I, I really love... Punch Drunk Love, and I didn't think I would like it because uh, I can't stomach Adam Sandler movies at all. Uh, and I watched it, and I was blown away. And he really is fantastic. It's it's not like uh, it is Adam Sandler, but it's not. It's just as it's something that's really superb. But um, I, I just noticed a few of the things that I pick up on. Um, uh, in Paul Thomas Anderson's work, it's a sort of uh, chaos versus control aspect. Uh, sort of these characters are stuck in this chaotic life and they're looking for a means to the end, you know, means to end, sort of trying to regain control over their lives in some sort of any aspect that they can. Um, and I think as well, it's, it's sort of whether there isn't sort of... Uh, a, a quick fix um people you know religion sort of fails fame fails money doesn't really work and i think really paul thomas anson's sort of message to people is that um you've got to it, you've got to work on yourself internally you can't find an external answer to to your pain which is just something that i i picked up on but i, I don't know whether anyone sort of agrees with me at all that's a good um, observation i think it's yeah. very good yeah. Uh, oh, that's good. Thank you. Um, so I just wanted to know as well what everybody's sort of favourite film is and also your favourite character. So your favourite film doesn't have to be... This, your favourite character doesn't have to be from your favourite film of Paul Thomas Anderson. So um, I would love to sort of hear what, what people think. Uh, my favourite character was Daniel Plainview only because he walked and talked exactly like my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> Which wow! Frightened me by the end of the film. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Your grandfather clearly came a long way. Really? Uh, well, my my favorite uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film is Boogie Nights, but my favorite character is probably Peggy Dodd from The Master. Uh, yeah. Just because I. I, I want, as I said, I would, I would love to see a Peggy Dodd spinoff, and also I, I think Amy Adams is an acting queen with unparalleled range, and I think she can do no wrong. She is such a sort of um, underrated actress, uh, Amy Adams. I really uh, can't believe that she has. She should have won for Nocturnal Animals in 2016 for her performance in that movie. Uh, or Arrival, because both of those are amazing, and and she is just such a great actress, and she can really sort of play. She plays. She is the best thing in sort of um, Man of Steel as Lois Lane. 
Uh, you really, she can hold it, hold her own. Um, but sorry, just bear with me two seconds as the doorbell's rang. So you guys continue. I'll be back in a second. Okay. <laughs> well, my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Well, it's Phantom Thread, actually, because my favorite before that was uh, uh, Boogie Nights. But uh, when I watched Phantom Thread, I I fell in love. So, yeah, yeah, uh, no contest there. And favorite character, damn, that's (laughs) difficult. There's so many good characters in there. I mean, characters in the sense that uh, they're very well written and well acted and well because mo- most of the most of them are awful, uh, <laughs> awful. So so yeah, uh, I think I'm going with Daniel Plainview from from their movie Vlog because I always found interesting how uh, how he turned to that hideous, hateful person in the end. In the beginning, he. he he was uh, uh, ambitious, uh, you noted in, in his face, uh, but it's a, it's a slow process when, it, when he turns to that, then he'll claim you for, from the end of, of There Will Be Blood. So I, I always found that character interesting because of that, because how he turns out, it's, it's very meticulously done by uh Paul Thomas Anderson's script, and of course, Daniel Day-Lewis' performance. I think that's well said. I think I, I, you just gave all the reasons I was going to give for Daniel Plainview for the same thing. <laughs> oh, I'd almost say there will be fun. Oh, sorry, no, no, but that was so much better than I would have said it, too, so thank you. Okay. Uh, I'd say, yeah, I, There Will Be Blood, maybe, or Boogie... I, I love Boogie Nights. I think that's just a great film, so I think that's going to be my pick for number one. I uh, My Macintosh is running out of power, so I may have to go. Uh, but if I don't get to talk to you guys again, uh, you know, have a great Oscars, and I'll see you on the other <laughs> side. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> oh, one last thing I want to say. Uh, just a quick theme, just to answer Bianca's question seems like toxic masculinity is a major, yes. uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson theme, especially lately. I mean, I don't know if this is something he's going to keep working on. Um, and, I, and I love what he does with it. In fact, I'd almost say he's more interesting about that theme than just about anybody else working on it, you know, in film. So I think that's it's really, I, I think you could, if you're teaching a course on toxic masculinity, you could do a lot. <laughs> Worse than his films, you know, and he's only scratched the surface. I'm afraid. Well, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there's a lot more of us bastards. Yeah, to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're scum. Um, no. All right. So, uh, my favorite uh, PTA film is Inherent Vice um, because I just love, you know, the the haze of it. You know the mystery of what the hell is actually going on in that film. And it makes you would me love the seventies Al. Oh yes, absolutely. I, I, I completely agree with you, Steve. I think that, um, the seventies just had that, like, you know, no, I don't give a shit attitude. Yeah. <laughs> and I really feel like that's kind of what Paul Thomas Anderson has. Um, mm. yeah. And I we're mean, probably heading that way now. <laughs> yeah. 
inherent I mean inherent vice is just crazy. It's batshit crazy and I fucking love it. And so yeah, it's but you know, I was thinking I wanna cheat with this other with the actor or character question because I wanna do it by male and female. So bear oh, yep. with bear with me. Okay, so my favorite male character is of course Doc Sportello from Inherent Vice because he, he's just He's like, if you've ever watched um, um, Psych, which I've been re-going through the show, he's kind of like Sean Spencer, only he's not a psychic. You know, he just takes a lot of notes. He's really, he just really pays a lot of close attention to things. And he's just damn smart. Now, in terms of my favorite female character, I'm going to cheat again, and I'm going to go with all the women in Punch Drunk Love. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all of those sisters the, the sisters <laughs> oh my god they embarrassed the hell out of adam sandler especially yeah. the one sister like she just she's she's mean but yeah. she's so much fun and and of course if i had to pick one in particular i really like the the character played by um oh hold on one second by emily watson i think her name is lena leonard Oh, she's fantastic. She she's really is. Wonderful. I mean, she, she just loves, you know, Barry Egan, and she just wants to be with him no matter what the hell is going on. And she's so sort of down-to-earth uh, yeah. and, and very real. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I love how she just seems to accept him, you know, even though he's like, possibly got some sort of Asperger's or definitely some sort of, he's on the spectrum somehow um, uh, but she doesn't, see, you know so socially awkward There's a, the the restaurant scene uh, when he just goes into the bathroom and oh, <laughs> yeah, smashes the bathroom up he and then the, guy, the hell out of that air dryer <laughs> <laughs> and I love the scene afterwards and uh, the the uh, the waiter's just like, were you in the bathroom? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, yeah. it's so awkward. But yeah, she's fantastic. And I feel like that's probably one of um, Paul Thomas Anderson's most uh, un- underappreciated pieces. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I really like that. And also, I, I kind of find. Uh, the music in that is just mm-hmm. just so wonderful, and I love the fact that he uses the song from Popeye. Yes, uh, I haven't looked I, that up. I didn't realize I, that was Shelley Duvall. I know. Oh, I yeah. really, yeah, I really yeah. love Popeye. I'm sorry, but I'm just. I know it's like hated, uh, but I really love that film, uh, and I love it because it was one of my favorite films growing up as a kid, and. Uh, Every time I talk to people about it, they were like, "They made a musical of Popeye." Uh, <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, it's a fa- it's fantastic." Uh, you know, it completely bombed and you know ruined like Robert Altman's career, but it's fantastic. You know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was just it's amazing because, like I say, it's sort of uh, the homage uh, that. Um, Paul Thomas and Anderson does to all the people who have influenced him and uh, it's just not it's just those subtle things which Mm. are are, are beautiful Um, but yeah I'm so glad that you sort of brought up uh, (laughs) well thank you 
<laughs> but um, I suppose I haven't seen Inherent Vice uh, only because I have had really sort of mixed re- sort of reactions to it. Um, but uh, I never go by other people's reactions. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So um, I will have to check it out because uh, I do really like whacking Phoenix. Yeah, maybe you'll, uh, uh, maybe you'll love it so much you'll give us another you know long essay about it. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. When I get um, passionate about stuff, I just seem to like put pen to paper and I have to get it out um, or else it just bottles up and I sort of end up going a bit crazy like us. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a little, I'm actually a little jealous because, like, I think a lot about film and film writing when I'm at work. But the problem is, because I'm at work, I can't stop to think. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I, what I mean is I can't stop to, to make notes. So I think about all these kinds of things I want to say, you know, like preparing for when Robin asks us to write stuff out. <laughs> and then, like, I get home and I just want to veg. And it's it's uh, it's just so disappointing because it's like oh my god I had all these thoughts and now they're gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the feeling. It's a problem. I keep a pad. Of, I'm really old school. I keep a pad of paper in the car, and I usually have uh, a piece of paper in my pocket. <laughs> I, Steve, that is exactly like me. My whole like uh, I have to. I can't leave the, my home unless I have a note bag, a note right. pad in my bag, and a pen. At least five pens. Because you never know when one of those little buggers of an idea is going to hit you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but I can write about film, but I can't write anything. I can't, when it comes to writing film ideas, I have a lot of film ideas and screenplays I want to get working on. I can't do it. So mm-hmm. I have the opposite problem where if it's, some, if it's writing about other pieces of work and things that I found interesting, I could do it. But when it comes to being creative and trying to write my own stuff, I'm like, Sort of, it starts to go a bit like The Shining, you know. Sort of. <laughs> well, you I've know, just realised I've typed the same sentence <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> I have a, I have a couple thoughts that I want to share. Um, one, okay, since first I might as well get this out before I forget. So you're talking about writing a screenplay. I what a couple, you know. A few months ago, I had had this really obtuse thought about, like, writing a screenplay about some kind of storyline that mixes in every song from the Radiohead album, OK Computer. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole movie is just the soundtrack of OK Computer told in some kind of movie storyline. You know, mm. I don't know, but that was really strange. That was just me being pretentious. Um <laughs> <laughs> but my, another, the other thought that I wanted to share is, um, and I can't take any of the credit for this. I have to give the credit to the guys at Atlantic Screen Connection, you know, Jason, Michael, and Lee Brady. That you know, they did a whole series about uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, and they each episode they kind of delved deep into the psychology of each film and 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 everything. Wow. Oh, it's fantastic, and. Like, what they came up with on the surface was that, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson has essentially gone through three phases. He started out with a um, Martin Scorsese phase, right? With, like, Hard Eight and Boogie Nights. And then he yeah. moved into a uh, Robert Altman phase. 
with like Magnolia um, and Punch Drunk Love. And then he took a little break. And then he went into a uh, Stanley Kubrick phase. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, wow. You know, I, I, I never would have necessarily have thought that watching his films because, you know, sometimes I pick up on stuff like that. But most of the time when I watch a film, it's more just I'm just trying to, like, enjoy it for what it is. And just, you know, and like we were talking about signatures and voices, you just try to look at a film like this director has his own thing. Or her own thing, you know, and yeah, he's moving. He's moving from traditional to less traditional, more original. It, yeah, it's his. Yeah. It's his actual. It's his growth pattern. Absolutely, and you yeah. know, it, it's interesting seeing the progression there, and and how he's progressed. You know, and the kind of films that he's chosen to tell. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like Robin was talking about. You know, where like he went and did, um, you know, a film that just kind of. Uh, you know, Robert Altman driven with lots of characters and without being Magnolia. And uh, by the way, side note with Magnolia, I heard that Paul Thomas Anderson years later after Magnolia thought he could have edited out about an hour of that film. Oh, I'm so glad he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then Robin was talking, (laughs) Robin was talking about how like, you know, then he moves on. He wants to do a more personal, smaller project with punch drunk love. And then he mm-hmm. wanted to do a film about oil. And I just thought yeah. Robin was onto something there, you know, and what he said was really interesting. I think also I read, I watched this really interesting sort of, um, I guess it's like a visual essay on YouTube about Paul Thomas Anderson's work. And they're saying that he is, uh, the same characters are re reappearing throughout the films Uh, just look almost like a reincarnation type of thing where the the same same character keeps appearing out throughout the film in different bodies but it's essentially the same person so it's like he's tracking the development of that particular yeah or whatever you want to call it yeah and i thought that was actually quite interesting because it sort of started off with uh so if you put it in chronological order the very first film would be uh there will be blood um uh, and then up until uh so daniel plainfield is the character and then you go into the master um and then you've got freddy and then you've got uh boogie nights and then you've got um gosh it would probably be hard eight and then you've got punch drug love but you've got that sort of period where it's basically the main character is basically the same character but in different bodies uh and with a different name but they're still trying to find their their sort of place in the universe and i've i thought that was actually quite profound a theory uh and i can sort of see it it's a bit of a stretch in places but uh it's very sort of it's a sort of spiritual aspect to Paul Thomas Anderson's work so uh, it is interesting to sort of think that maybe he's, he's, all of his films are connected in that way and we'll finally reach a point where his very last film will the per, the character that we've been started off way way back in you know 1901 or you know whenever they've reached a point now where they're actually a functioning human being <laughs> but I don't know uh it's quite odd 
that to think that but i i don't know uh it's just a really weird theory but then i also heard that the theory of um uh punch drunk love being paul thomas anderson's remake of superman from the 1970s mm. <laughs> which was, <laughs> which what? was re- yes yeah um basically so <laughs> this is really strange um so the character of Barry, played by uh, um, Adam Sandler, is actually supposed to be Clark Kent. Mm? Was, this, <laughs> was this theory, did that come out of one of the characters in Inherent Vice? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. really bizarre. But, like, they were saying uh, because he's wearing blue and then <laughs> she's wearing red. And oh, my the, God. Yeah. And the fact that he there's scenes where he's got super strength and he's smashing things and uh, he jumps and it looks like he's flying. Um, <laughs> you know, whether we agree with these theories or not, the fact that there are people interested enough in his work yeah. to come up with this stuff, it says a great deal about his work exactly. and how unique it is. I know. It's a, and it just made me think of, like, you know, with The Shining and there's all these yeah. weird theories. But that's what's interesting because you can go and re-watch Paul Thomas Anderson's films, any of his films, and, and find something new. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. You're, it's, you know, maybe not that extreme as he's remaking Superman from like 1978 or whenever it was made. Well, I would uh, say that just putting Adam Sandler in a blue leisure suit is bold enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love his suit. His suit is amazing in that film. And it really Does is, it, yeah. He doesn't seem to take it off. Well, uh, now, uh, so, so, okay, is kryptonite then pudding? Uh, I don't know. They said that the kryptonite was actually the piano. The little oh, piano the harpsichord. Buy. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It's really bizarre, because they were, like, saying that uh, the Mattress Man, he is supposed to be, like, um, Lex Luthor or something, because he's got no hair or something, and, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's It's shot in the dark, so there's, like, the light versus the dark and stuff, but you're just like, well, someone was smoking something when they were watching that film. (laughs) oh my god oh wow that's probably the most bizarre theory that i found out when i was sort of like doing my research and i was like okay well yeah um this is why i didn't become a film lecturer because i would have to read essays like this so uh (laughs) (laughs) well you know okay i just thought of a question for you guys so, you know how when we were talking about Christopher Nolan, we were talking about what would we want to see them do next? Let's put mm. the same question to Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, I want to see him do that film with Tiffany Haddish and my Aunt Rudolph he desperately wants to do. Okay, so what's the genre? I don't know. You know, when I've uh, said on my tweets, I, when, even on Twitter, when I've said that I love the idea of him and Tiffany Hodge collaborating. I, I've had this. I, I developed this uh, my own my own personal pitch. Do you, what, do you, what do you guys want to hear? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I have this. I where it's a serial comic vehicle 
where Tiff, that takes place in the fashion industry, where Tiffany Haddish is the star, and Kirsten Dunst, who Paul Thomas Anderson has also expressed interest in working with, plays her uh, plays her fierce rival, and all, and they they find a way they get Timothy Chalamet to co to co star, and Haim does the score. Perfect. And 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 Emmanuel Lebeski does the cinematography. Oh man, that sounds fantastic. Oh, it's nice. To, yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, I want to see do Hamlet. <laughs> Hamlet. Oh, oh wow. I want the most imaginative filmmaker. I'm the most imaginative writer. I think he could do an incredible job. Yeah, that actually could work. Well, now, oh, Steve. Okay, so you know, we know that like um, Orson Welles took on Shakespeare with Othello. Yeah. With mixed results, yeah. Right. Do you think that... Um, and Macbeth, Paul, he did too. That's right, he did Macbeth as well. Do you yeah. think that Paul Thomas Anderson would have better luck? Oh, God, yes. Okay. I think Paul Thomas... Uh, I think Wells felt was too constricted by... Uh, like, he was trying to think of it as, as produce, filming a stage play. I don't think Anderson would approach it that way. I think he would go inside the character of Hamlet and all the peripheral characters and come up with something... I mean, it wouldn't have to be set in Denmark and God knows when he could, he could do Hamlet and set it today. And I think, I think it would be extremely effective. Right. Or, or in sort of 1920s or some, some sort of a period piece would be amazing. And he wouldn't even have to set it in a, in a, in a European, um, like American European setting. He could set it anywhere. Mm. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Joel, what do you think? Well, I, I would like it. You know, it's it's something that he, he, he hasn't done, even though he's he's really versatile. Uh, he he he's one of these directors that really can do anything. If you think about uh, how different all his films are, uh, I would like to see him do a sci-fi, maybe. I think something that he hasn't done yet, or or even a, a horror movie. Mm. Like his, uh, his, yes, his yes. version of 2001, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, that, that would be awesome. Uh, oh, I, a, a PTA 2001. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking horror as well, like a Shining type of, Shining-esque type of horror. Um, frightening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Joaquin Phoenix would be amazing. Um because he's just so crazy. He just has that, that intense look in his eyes. And I feel like he could be uh, maybe not like the writer thing, not like a whole shining type of thing, but uh, definitely something, um, I feel like a period sort of, you know, Victorian type of period. Um oh. What about like the devil and Daniel Webster, where Joaquin Phoenix is Daniel Webster and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis turns up as the devil? (laughs) Oh, my God, that would be amazing. Uh, I do like, I am very sort of interested in whether he could do like a gothic type of horror, you know, sort of maybe take something like from Poe or like the Telltale Heart or, you know, that sort of that horror genre type of uh, I like the idea because like we were saying about toxic masculinity and 
obsessive nature and um, sort of the idea of committing a crime uh, and then trying to hide it from someone and just a subtle little I just picturing like if the the body was under the floorboards and all having dinner and you've got the noises you've got like staring of the teacup and everything and someone drops a spoon on the floor and there's like they can peer down into the the floorboards and there's a body and it's just like I'm just picturing it in my mind but I can just see it like just the the build up of suspense I could do and that score would just build and all be really sort of erratic and crazy but I think like definitely a horror film would be amazing especially sort of in the Victoria era but um, I'd all perhaps maybe something a bit more contemporary i wouldn't i like to see sort of a, a maybe uh, a sequel to punch drunk love where they've got their you know he's trying to give advice they've got had a child now and they're trying to give sort of father son advice on dating and it all goes horribly wrong what in it you know, you mentioned contemporary, and, like, the idea that popped into my head, and maybe I'm just, I'm crazy out of my fucking mind, but I, honestly, given how, like, strong Paul Thomas Anderson is as a writer and director, I would love to see him take on Donald Trump. <gasps> oh. My gosh. With Daniel Day-Lewis as Trump. <laughs> oh. uh, no. No. <laughs> that would be amazing. Or like even Joaquin Phoenix. He would be the biggest <gasps> asshole in the universe if he does that. I think he's, he's he's so he's so uh, you know uh, he's he immersed himself so much to his characters. Can you imagine a Daniel Day Lewis as Donald Trump? Oh no. my God! No, no. 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 Uh, I his, couldn't handle him. No, uh, he'd be doing the tweeting as well. Because he would have to so get into the character, he'd have to no, make no, his own. No, 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 don't, don't, oh. no, no. You have to do it from his. You have to do it from his toilet, his golden <laughs> toilet. Oh God! No, I think mean, I, I, I had to pass that one. Sorry, guys. So no. I'm just picturing like a tweet where it's, I drink your milkshake. <laughs> a Trumpian whole character is a good idea, but. To go with uh, the real thing, I think, would be a mistake. Yeah. yeah. Although, uh, a political drama would be interesting. Um, predictable drama? <laughs> political, not predictable. Oh, it's a predictable. <laughs> <laughs> political. That'd be if a stretch for Anderson. Yeah, if it's anything to do with Trump, it definitely won't be predictable. That's for sure. Mm. Or, you but, know what? Okay, if if he didn't do something like Trump, Maybe he could do something a la, like, the investigation, you know, with Robert Mueller and that whole team, the Russia investigation. Well, somebody should do that movie because it's asking for it. I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You had all the president's men 40 years ago. You'll probably get this one pretty yeah, soon. Definitely. Investigative journalists, and it's a genre that's, that's been... Very popular uh, these past three years, uh, if you count Spotlight and and recently The Post. So, mm. yeah, may, maybe he's up his alley. Maybe he's thinking about it. He's he, he just focusing right now in that uh, that movie he's going to do for for his kids. So, 
So yeah. we had to wait at least like eight years more or maybe <laughs> ten years before we got that. Oh, I can't see him fencing himself in by any particular genre. Mm. No. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what movie he is doing for his kids. Do we think it could be his superhero movie? Uh, um, or do you think maybe he'd be doing something a bit like a... Um, I would like to see him do something like a father-daughter uh, relationship movie, a bit like Paper Moon or something, sort of. Or To Kill a Mockingbird or something? Yeah, yeah, I, I, because I don't, I mean, we've had a lot of the sort of father-son thing, but not the father-daughter or the, the mother-daughter would be quite nice as well. Um, yeah, his own ladybird. Yeah, exactly, that could work. Um Maybe it's sort of, it seems to be very good with the 1950s period, so um, that would be quite interesting if he did a sort of a mother-daughter um, a sort of period pace in, in the 1950s. But perhaps, you know, with Amy Adams' character, uh, definitely what, what her story is, but... It's too uh, bad Todd Haynes already rebooted Mildred Pierce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's exciting because he's not one of these directors we can sort of easily predict what he's going to do next. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely um, what, actually probably one of my favourite directors um, of all time. So uh, I'm very, I was very happy to sort of uh, get a chance to write about him uh, in, in great detail because... Um, I rewatched some films that I hadn't um, watched for a while, and then I was just sort of blown away. But I do need to catch up with Inherent Vice, so um, yes, please sort of... do because yeah. Steve is right. Ignore everything you've heard about it. Just go into it with an open mind, and I think you there's a chance you'll like it. You're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. And even if you don't like it the first time, if you watch it again, you probably will like it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the thing with, with Paul Thomas Anderson. At least for me, I I have watched seven of his eight films. The only one I haven't watched is Heart 8, which is his first one. Uh, and I always have this trouble because the first view, it's always mostly negative for me. <laughs> yeah, it, it always uncomfortable. Yes, yes. It, it happened to me with there will be blood. Yep. It happened with the master. It happened with punch drunk love. Uh, the only films that I could like uh, digest it the first time were Boogie Nights, which I think is his more most accessible film, and Phantom Fred. But I think I got Phantom Fred the first time because. I have also matured myself in the aspect of 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 learning more about filmmaking and and you know the the the, the how do I say the whole aspect of, of film you know uh, I have learned a lot in in this past uh, five years uh, since I began watching film more seriously so yeah I think that. Paul Thomas Anderson films require uh, experience uh, by the person who watch his films because if you're 
a first time washer, uh, a first time uh, uh, you decided to, oh, I'm going to watch uh, a lot of films uh, from now on. Uh, let me watch uh, There Will Be Blood first. <laughs> you hate it so much because you, you, you because you very literal, uh, very direct, and it's not. It's it's something that it. He respects his audiences so much that he puts them to work. He gets yeah. them to work with with him while you're watching it, and that that I think is a real uh, that's a real uh, plus with him. I'm at a payphone trying to call home all of my change I spent on you. Where are the times gone, baby? It's all wrong. Where are the plans we made for two? Yeah, I, I know it's hard to remember the people we used to be. It's even harder to picture that you're not here next to me. You say it's too late to make it, but is it too late to try? And in our time that you wasted, all of our bridges burned down. I've wasted. Take that little piece of shit with you. Hey, I'm out of bed, 